We are so much more than our resumes. If there's one thing you can take away from this week's Desuckify Work podcast episode with Patrick Riley, it is this simple, beautiful truth. Now, Patrick has a pretty impressive resume himself. From film school to co-founding Modern Survey, a human capital measurement company, to his current role heading up Radical, a company that blends art and science to help people create epic work experiences. Oh, and he's also found time to make a few films along the way. But his full story comes to life as you listen to who he is and who he has been through all of those experiences. Empathetic, curious, observant, optimistic, incisive, aware. You'll feel all of that and more as we dive into our discussion. We talk about his roots as a filmmaker, including summer sabbaticals at Sundance while he was CEO at Modern Survey. We discuss his time in the corporate world and how his learnings from Sundance informed his work and vice versa. And we explore his current work with Radical, helping people and organizations craft their stories and create more meaningful work experiences. So what's your story? Keep listening, and I think you'll get some good ideas. Welcome to the Desuckifier Club, Patrick. Okay, Patrick Riley, welcome to the Desuckify Work Podcast. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, Super great to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here. Um, I'd love to start by just giving people a chance to know a little bit about you, who, who you are, what you're doing in the world of work these days, and and you know maybe a quick recap of how you came to be doing it. Sure. Well, it's been a long and winding road through my career, but um, uh, you know I, I like to frame my my journey as equal parts artist and entrepreneur, and it's that's really been informative on to I think the choices I've made and the places I've worked and the things I've done and sort of my life's work, I guess. And um, and um, so career started more on the creative side. So I, in my 20s, I was a young filmmaker and punk rock musician. Uh, so I spent a lot of time, um, you know, staying out late at night clubs or working long days, making movies or writing scripts, uh, you know, just nice. very, very into the creative process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would supplement that very low income with a lot of temp work. <laughs> so that was my first experience with really terrible work because I, you know, after having been out till two or three in the morning and then show up for a temp job at eight or eight or nine the next morning. And I got uh-huh. to see a lot of, di- a lot of different uh, weird interiors of a lot of different businesses here in nice. the the city of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, but then through sort of an unusual set of events, as will happen to creatives, um, I ended up um, creating a company called Modern Survey. Um, we were early um, kind of, we were an early enterprise employee engagement platform. That's what we really became. Um, mm-hmm. The big idea initially was, hey, um, we're seeing these companies do these gigantic employee surveys, trying to understand the employee experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're spending literally millions of dollars on it because it was all done on paper and pencil and scannable forms. It's kind of hard to yeah. remember what that was like. Yeah. Um, and this took shape because one of the temp jobs I was doing was actually at American Express. So I had landed there sort of randomly and was in the employee survey division. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, that's what, that's was that was sort of the, the beginning of that journey. So yeah, then all of a sudden I find myself in a startup with a couple of other founders. Um, and I spend the next 16 years building a gigantic tech company that was trying to understand what the experiences were that people were having at work um, mm-hmm. through a lot of surveys and assessments. And that manifested around employee engagement and leadership development and 
performance management, culture, many different aspects of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then in 2016, we sold that company to a firm called Aon, the kind of behemoth um, insurance and HR consulting company. Mm-hmm. Um, spent a couple of years there as a partner, um, then went back to my first love, was did film producing for a couple of years. Um, nice. But then in the summer 2020, based here in Minneapolis, um, the world was very upside down for multiple reasons. Um, the pandemic, uh, George Floyd was murdered literally like about two miles from my house. Wow. Um, and during all of that, I, I still have these chills thinking of it, you know, hearing the Black Hawk helicopters flying overhead, mm-hmm. you know, during all the unrest that was happening here in the Twin wow. Cities. I mean, yeah. it, it was a real, real poignant moment to live through. Mm-hmm. And my brother, who is also a co-founder at Modern Survey, uh, was suddenly back in Minneapolis uh, and was looking for his next opportunity. And the two of us got together and we said, man, like everything has changed in life and work and um, and the space across life and work. You know, mm-hmm. when we sort of uh, we started to adopt this notion of whole person, like we need to think holistically about people. Mm-hmm. And that was really how we're radical began, which was our next company, which was how do we kind of bring the wisdom of the past, trying to kind of understand what experiences people are having, but really completely flip it on its head and think about the person first, Mm -hmm. think about their experiences at work and life, um, think about all the things that they want to do. Um, So we knew that the the strategies needed to change, the science needed to change, and eventually the technology needed to change. And that brings us up to where we are right now. Mm. Yeah, it's a wonderful journey. And I think we can dig into some of it because I think the quote unquote non-traditional career path is becoming much more the norm these days. And I think there's some rich stuff we can dive into there. Um, I think that statement, you know, that everything changed. um, We we all felt that to different degrees between COVID and all of the the unrests and and all of that that happened over the past few years. And, And I think a lot of people are are still sitting in that a bit and wondering, what do I do next? So I think there's a lot there and, and you guys are contributing to, to the solution there in a wonderful way. Um, what I want to ask before we get into some of that is, you know, what's your take on the, the state of work right now? Um, and I always kind of ask, you know, if there's a, a suck scale, you know, where does it fall? And, you know, I know you guys have done some research around this. So you have a, a more informed opinion than, than many. So what's, what's your take and, 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 and what, what do we need to know? Yeah. Well, if we uh, use the, if we take the notion of the suck scale and apply it to our research, we're mm-hmm. at about an, we're at about an eight out of 10 in terms of terribleness, mm-hmm. right. Wow. Um, to flip it the other way, you know, only about, only about 20, 21% of people in the U S based on our recent research are are having really great experiences with work. You know, the remaining 79% are really suffering in different kinds of ways. And, you know, and there's a lot behind that, you know, some of it is, you know, um, like, you know, everything changed in the pandemic and, and the pressures of, of dealing with that and the post, I think the post-traumatic stress following that we're still in the Mm -hmm. tail of that. And that Mm -hmm. manifests both in terms of, you know, where we're working and, uh, you know, should it be hybrid? Should we go back to work? Um, political polarization, um, mm-hmm. yeah, just, and just, and just sort of an economic ambiguity. Um, and, and mm-hmm. that's manifesting both for people, you know, we've been suffering through inflation and companies trying to 
get things back on track. Um, and so there's just a lot of pressure all around. And what that ends up meaning is for a lot of people, eight out of 10 people, basically, it's pretty terrible. Yeah. And I think without that data, you sort of feel that, right? I mean, you just in conversations, if I just scan my LinkedIn feed, it's just just jumping off the page a little bit. But when you see the numbers a little more concretely like that, it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know what the norm has been over time, but I also kind of don't care because when I see a number like 21% of people are having great work experiences, I think that's just absurd. And I think, you know, wherever you're coming at this problem from, clearly we can do better. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's a lot of ways you guys are trying to do that, um, which I want to dive into. Before that, I'd love to kind of, you kind of nodded to it a little bit when you talked about some of your temp experiences, but I like to sometimes ask people, what it, what was your sort of suckiest work experience? <laughs> Personally, if you oh, don't want any names, that's fine. If you want to protect uh, uh, the, the guilty, that's okay. I mean, I saw so many different companies. I'm trying to think of I suppose the, probably the, there's two things that come to mind in terms of just like, just terrible. Mm -hmm. I had a um, temp job. Uh, I think I can name names on this because it doesn't really matter. It was, uh, I think it was Sears because they're not even in business yeah. anymore. And and I was somehow in, uh, oh man, we were managing the health benefits or something. And I mm -hmm. like literally was working on an old mate and I'm going to really date myself on a mainframe <laughs> computer of some sort uh -huh. and like okay. things requests would come in. I was in this pool of other people in there and we'd I'd go into this like mainframe system and have to like change names from a previous file to a new one and then put in a bunch of stuff manually and then print it out and then proof it and then someone would have to sign it. And it was just, you know, it was just like the old world of work. Yeah. And it was just, at least it was physical. At least I like literally had to go like walk a half block to get to the printer because, you know, that's, that's how far away they were back then. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was just kind of old world. But in terms of like, maybe some of the most bizarre temp experiences I was working for. Um, I, I, I can name names here because it's it's just a fact. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was a company called Wilson, the leather experts. Do you remember them? They were in malls. They had like leather jackets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. yeah. The mall so days. Yeah. The back of, yeah, we're really going back. Um, yeah. And I just randomly ended up there doing some temp work. I was in the marketing department, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, on oh, maybe day three or four and it might the original assignment as I was helping the, um, the lead creative there do like, she was preparing for like a New York fashion shoot or whatever. So it's just like a lot of kind of organizing. Mm -hmm. And I was like on day two of that. And it was, I was like, Oh, this is great. This is cool. I like, this is sort of like film production work. It's, yeah. and I'd done some agency work before. So it's cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And like on day three, I come in and they have, they have a company crisis. Uh, basically they learned that the sealant that the leather protectant that they, that they would selling at the stores to spray on the jackets, it was mm -hmm. like one of those kind of add-on items. People were having adverse reactions to it, like asthma Jeez. attacks or something like that. So wow. basically this, this like agency uh, thing suddenly goes into crisis mode. Mm -hmm. And I, we had to flip the whole, like within three or four hours, we were, I mean, the phones were ringing off the hook. Every news station in the country was calling us. We had to like prepare wow. for crisis management. And mm -hmm. I got stuck between the head of marketing and the 
publicist and they kind of put me in a chair to like run and run information back and forth and like, like sit here don't move until we tell you what to do or whatever oh my gosh anyway, so that's just I, that's something that comes to mind but just that's the that's the fun of temping it's sort of like playing bingo you know you just <laughs> you just never know i mean i had a lot of really great experiences but that was uh that was yeah that was that was a unique one. Oh my gosh <laughs> i guess it i guess it taught me it was a quick lesson in crisis management when like when the whole world goes upside down kind of how do you mm-hmm. how do you rework everything to re- respond to that yeah i mean it's interesting too very very different kind of quote-unquote sucky experiences and i think you know, probably could learn something from both, I suppose. And I think that's a, a good mindset we can take. But it also kind of reminds me that even though those experiences aren't that recent, that there's still a lot of that DNA in our workspaces today. You know, the sort of mundaneness of that first experience at Sears, like a lot of companies are still structured in ways that you just sit there doing the kind of mindless stuff, the the TPS reports and all the, the stuff where it's kind of like, I don't even know why I'm doing it, but all I do is I move things around. Yeah. And then the other one is, I think it reminds me how many companies can be seemingly always on that verge of tipping into chaos and crisis. Like they play right up against the edge and they spend mm-hmm. a lot of time in that space and, and, and people have no mechanism for how to deal with it, you know? So it's interesting how, However, ever many years transpire from some quote unquote older work experiences, we're still living some of those things. And I, I think that's where a lot of the room for improvement can be of just like what what should work look like now, knowing what we know now, having the tools that we have now, and hopefully having a little better understanding of the human needs that, that I think we kind of used to just not really pay attention to at all. And now I think we are paying attention, but maybe people don't know which levers to pull and how to do that. And I think a lot of what you're doing now is connecting to that. So you you talked about your company Radical. Can you give a little more info about what you guys are doing there? Sure. So um, ultimately our kind of, you know, call to arms is to make work epic for everyone. Mm, Nice. You know, so it really is, I mean, it's like, basically, how do we make work not terrible for, you know, 79% of people? How do we kind of Mm -hmm. unlock energy and passion and potential and meaning, uh, clarity and connection with the experiences people are having at work in an ongoing way? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we kind of grew up in modern survey, my previous company around these traditional notions of employee engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, that's a notion that if you kind of trace that back it goes really back honestly like 50 to 70 years right there was the beginning of industrial organizational psychologists and mm-hmm. like I, like IBM was early into this like hey let's try to like measure and understand the productive the productivity of people psychologically so we can add it into the mm-hmm. you know the concepts around how to run the business then you kind of fast forward that and it got a little bit more dynamic with employee engagement about 20 years ago mm-hmm. but the pro- the problem with all of that um, and, you know, cause I, in my mind, we're kind of in this post-capitalism or, or, you know, post-modern world where we just have to kind of rethink everything. The mm-hmm. problem with it is it's about top down trying to drive an expectation of what people should be doing and even imagining what kind of experiences people should be having. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, companies used to say, oh, here's the kind of company we are. So 
you know, these are the the values we believe in. And, you know, you should, we're going to kind of push, we're going to indoctrinate you around these concepts, you know? Yeah. Um, but the problem, and we learned this through the employee engagement process is you ultimately just get stuck with, you, you, you get, you get a fair amount of false positives in some mm-hmm. companies, but more often than not, you get situations where there's certain parts in the organization that aren't doing well. And so, and some manager who's running a business unit, say a 50 people, hundred people, whatever it is, is mm-hmm. tasked with trying to fix this problem. Mm-hmm. So it's a sort of top-down expectation of making people happy. And yeah. it's completely the wrong way to do it. So mm-hmm. in Radical, our notion is to turn everything around. You've got to start with designing for the individual first, right? Mm. Who are they? Um, what's important to them? What makes them tick? How does that align with what the, what the organization is and how do you kind of track and understand those levels of affinity between, you know, a person and an organization. And this starts to become really, really interesting. Um, and what our research is showing, and now we're starting to build product around this too, is that when you start to really take the time to understand somebody individually, and mm-hmm. then you start to raise that into a context of uh, teams or where people are working and there's better understanding of who people are, mm-hmm. how they're kind of working together toward a common purpose. Um, when you engineer it that way, um, it really changes things quite dramatically. So it's like mm-hmm. you're really empowering workers and empowering the process. And then our thesis is that if you design it that way, then organizations start to really benefit from this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really about empowerment. Um, and another big part of it is um, around helping people understand stories about people too. I mean, that's why I love mm-hmm. even with your podcast, we're finding that stories are really powerful ways to convey who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think humans are engineered to hear that. I mean, think how many times you've been in maybe a sales pitch or a situation and or a presentation, whatever. And there's all kinds of numbers and concepts. But when someone tells a story, it sticks with you. You know, absolutely. So we really weave that in. So, so to get more specific with what we do with Radical, we're doing what's in the business called employee experience advisory work. So we're helping companies kind of better design for what I just shared with kind of what's the strategy, Uh what's the approach, yeah, what's, what's the new science. And then what are the solutions that can be deployed around that to deliver on that vision I just shared. Hmm. So if I'm a a company and I'm thinking of working with you guys, um, what is, what is my experience like as, you know, let's say I'm the CEO of company of 500 people and I walk in and I go, I see an issue. I know we're mostly living in that 79% right now, but I want us to to grow that 21% number. Um, what are some of the steps you would take with me and ultimately with the team to, to kind of lift us up? Yeah, I mean, we start with just gaining an understanding. Um, we usually come in and work directly with the leadership team initially, just trying mm-hmm. to figure out what's going on. Who Who is this organization? What are you trying to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, where are their strengths and weaknesses? across the leadership team, where is there friction, where are there problems? Um, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of times we start there and then we sort of feed that back to the leadership team and start to say, okay, here's here's what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and we'll also do some, some research, some focus groups with employees and people and just kind of look for those disconnects, look where mm-hmm. leadership and the organization is seen and imagining one thing or trying to do one thing. And mm-hmm. then, hey, we go and talk to people and we're hearing something else entirely different. Mm-hmm. So we start by kind of framing up the problem statement mm-hmm. um, uh, and hopefully bring clarity to that. And we're really good and, ex- and experienced at getting in there and tangling with that, you know? Yeah. And so we start there. And then the next step is thinking about, okay, well, what are the, you know, now that we've kind of gained a perspective and an understanding, you know, how do we start to 
start to, we, we, we actually call that um, overcoming inertia, right? Sort of just sort of getting to sort of that understanding of what needs to happen, kind of get everything hot. Now. And yep. then we start to get to actually initializing things, right? And starting to getting to some ideas and concepts. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's just, it's working on the way um, communications are happening in the company. Sometimes it's getting into what we call the people science. Like, how are you, you're saying you're a culture like this and mm-hmm. how are you, how are you under, measuring and understanding that against the ideal? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how are you aligning that with what the organization's trying to do? Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a lot of experience of tying together, when we really start to get down the road, sort of the psychometrics of what's happening with people and, and proving out how that's aligning with the outcomes for the organization, right? So you're mm-hmm. kind of building building the model, a people-first model mm-hmm. that that sort of helps everyone understand, oh gosh, if we do these sorts of things, and we focus on these concepts, um, we start to get lift. Um, mm-hmm. Like the the three main areas that almost every organization needs help in is mm-hmm. meaning, is meaning, clarity, and connection. Mm-hmm. And if you can work on those items and figure out how they manifest all over the employee experience, um, mm-hmm. and we can start to drive those things up, then we get what we call epic work experiences. And this is where people report feeling joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, and excitement, and they, you know, and uh, amazing work experiences. And I love working with my coworkers, and I believe in the values and purpose of this organization. That's what an epic work experience feels like, right? Yeah. Um, hmm. I've, I've, I've been fortunate to have a few of those, so it definitely connects for me. I think what I, what comes up is you mentioned those three words: meaning, clarity, and and communication. Is it connection? Connection. Yep. So. So meaning is an interesting one because I think for some people, they sort of inherently can find it, but for, for some of, some of us, it's like, it doesn't seem like there's meaning on the surface of what we do. So in an instance like that, what, what can you do to help people find that meaning? Well, I think part of it's mapping, um, what people do in their roles and in their organization or in their team and, and, Mm -hmm and gaining an understanding of how that ties into, you know, the overall purpose of the organization. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, to go back to that example, it's Sears, right? Mm-hmm. I, it was all process, right? It was, there was nothing that I was doing that would have connected in any way to the larger purpose of right. what Sears and Roebuck was mm-hmm. many, many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's imagine that same experience I might be having now um, in some new company um, mm-hmm. in year 2023. And if I had that same sort of job, if I could understand how, what I was doing, mm-hmm. uh, and the process was designed in a way that it was connected to kind of the importance and significance of the organization, then I, I start mm-hmm. to feel like I'm contributing in an energetic way towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a, this is, there's no sort of silver bullet process here, mm-hmm. but there is, but it's an approach and a mindset mm-hmm. that, senior leadership, business leaders, individual leaders, people, ad hoc teams, you know, mm-hmm. need to really sort of align. Oh gosh, we understand how, what we're doing here is you sort of articulate or, or, um, or come up with a charter for that, you know, that team you're on and, mm-hmm. and really understand how that thing you're doing is aligning with the bigger picture and concept. So it's just, it's just yeah. building a, an idea of building alignment, attaching meaning, et cetera. So it's, it's mm-hmm. just a, a change in mindset. Um, but, yeah. but again, Easier said than done. I mean, a lot of organizations really suffer with this. So, it, mm-hmm. so this, I mean, to be really clear, this will not work if senior leadership doesn't buy in on it. You know, it's just, yeah. 
So you've got to get the buy-in up there and then you've got to empower individuals mm-hmm. and teams. And then, and then that's how those things eventually come together. And there's that sort of that connection around meaning mm-hmm. or, that, or that line with, you know, between meaning of, of an organization, purpose of an organization and meaning with my work. Personal attachment to that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think as you were saying that I thought, you know, the question that shows up for some people like is, does this matter or why does this matter? You know what I'm doing. And, and I think, I think I've even seen some, some data around this where if people are able to make that connection and feel like the work they're doing, it matters for, for whatever reason, it doesn't have to be some grand save the world kind of thing. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of people will make is like the only way to find meaning or purpose is to, you know, do some sort of grand scale thing like that. But it's more just like, if the purpose is in some small way to help people accomplish some small task and I'm contributing to that and I can feel that connection, I suddenly can feel like what I'm doing has meaning. And I think the data is, is, is around like, if people can make that connection, even in what we might view as, as work that is super, task oriented and not innately filled with meaning their their happiness with what they do at work is exponentially increased i forget the numbers but it's it's pretty massive if people can find that meaning so i think that's a a huge one and it's one i certainly think that relates to a lot of folks out there who are sort of scratching their head going like am i doing what i should be doing part of it is that piece is missing um yeah i think the clarity piece is really interesting because I can't, I'm sure everybody has been in a situation where the, the the communication is just so fuzzy or even contradictory at times from different parts of an organization that you're just left like, I think I'm doing the right thing, what I'm supposed to, but I'm not even sure. And I definitely don't know like how it connects to anything else we're doing. <laughs> um, how do you help people find that clarity? Yeah, well... I'll say a few things about that. One is um, micromanagement can be a real problem. Um, mm. So if you, so again, empowerment is a big part of what we believe in. So mm-hmm. if you can, if you can enable people to do better work um, and feel more like they're self-generating it, that you kind of open up a better kind of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but the, there's another piece to our, the way we kind of frame up the world of work now. And one of them is this idea of um, cross-functional teams mm-hmm. um, um, or distributed work. And what that really means is, you know, to, to go back to the the IBM example of 50 or 75 years in the past, right? There was sort mm-hmm. of a notion of how we design organizations and there was usually a, you know, there was usually a hierarchical chart and or an org chart and, you know, everything was very top-down designed and it was about leadership kind of designing things in chunks in the way they thought it made sense, right? Mm-hmm. The world of work now is there might be some kind of org chart that belongs mm-hmm. uh, that's part of the company or they typically will be, um, even yeah. if it's going to be 200 people or 500 people, but teams come together in cross-functional ways to do a chunk of work, right? And increasingly, uh-huh. it's not even just, it's not even just, uh, it, it can be, you know, teams across even multiple companies, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're from the creative space and the agency yep. world, right? There's a lot of kind of, you know, ad hoc teams that come together. So, Absolutely. so how, so when you, when those teams come together, 
shaping or building a tool set that allows that team and that quick charter, even if it's a, you know, if it's a company or a, a team that's going to exist for six weeks to do something, mm-hmm. but taking that time, a couple of beats up front with that work to, to really understand. And the team kind of mm-hmm. gets on board with how, what they're doing is aligning with something important for the business or building that connective tissue. Mm-hmm. So that's, so that gives that, that's, so that gives you that sort of clarity and in, in, in the context of work now, right? Mm-hmm. So collectively as we're working together as a team, we kind of understand how, what we're doing aligns with, you know, what's important, you know, yeah. versus, versus wait, I don't even know why this team even exists. Like I get in this freaking, you know, uh, zoom call every two weeks and mm-hmm. just, we've been having this for six months. Why are we coming together? You know, it's just because it's here, right? That's terrible. That, that's terrible, but it also feels all too familiar. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. And I yeah. probably a lot of heads nodding as they listen to this. Yeah. And the other one is just, I mean, this is sort of borrowed from the agile world, but Mm-hmm. Um, by agile, I mean, agile software, um, mm-hmm. which is leaders just need to clear blockers for workers. Right. So mm-hmm. just, if you're, if you're seeing a problem, like get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that things are more streamlined so teams can work better. Um, and, and, you know, again, they kind of have that understanding of what they're doing and how it's aligning with the overall, overall organizational purpose. So it's some, mm-hmm. you know, some organizational effectiveness kind of design and work. Um, it's having the right kind of tools. Um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, insisting that if a group spins up or a team spins up, uh, that they have to, you know, kind of come up with a charter, a quick charter of mm-hmm. why we're here, what we're doing, what's the purpose and, and, and when might this end, you know, mm-hmm. like, when's the right time to spin this thing down, right? We're, yeah. I think organizations are really good at spinning things up, but sometimes they're not so good at spinning them down. Yeah. That, that's also unfortunately all too familiar. And I think that's, that's one that certainly shows up a lot in the world of advertising of these cross agency teams, whether it could be cross agency under a holding company, it could be some client has decided to kind of pick and choose partners from multiple spots. And then occasionally you need to come together. And I think that idea of a, a charter coming up early in that process is one that I feel would change so much because I think you show up and there, first of all, there's some instinctive, like, competitive stuff that shows up, like, why are they doing that? And we're, you know, so there's, so you want to get people on that same page quickly. Plus you don't know those people. So how, how do I know how to work with them and what they're good at and what I'm good at and, and create, I think ultimately that common sense of purpose, which is, I feel like a fast forward button on how to get teams to feel like I want to work together because we now have a reason, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a spring in your step and, you know, it's interesting to watch as the tools evolve to support that way of working, you know, mm-hmm. and I think, I think we've seen plenty of them. I mean, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Asana or Trello or Zoom or whatever, it's really easy to bring disparate groups of people together to work around something. Um, mm-hmm. but, what, but the opportunity space, and this is what we're doing at Radical with the new software we're building, mm-hmm. which is how do you, how do you bring, again, the sort of better understanding of who people really are mm-hmm. and when you, when you, when you throw them all together you know mm-hmm. imagine how you could understand different personality types strengths and weaknesses of a team mm-hmm. um, it, you could understand how what might be missing is a skill or a concept like what you know what what do we maybe need that we're not seeing so mm-hmm. the more you really empower again those teams to kind of understand who they are how they're working together what their strengths and weaknesses are mm-hmm. then i think it, it gets really really interesting right so yeah know, so we start they, they really understand each other you have this sense sense of clarity and you know, then that sense of meaning. And that kind of gets to the third thing, which I'm guessing you're going next with this idea of connection, right? Yeah. So when, when we feel connection with people, mm-hmm. 
I mean, we all know what this feels like when you're, when you're on a great team, um, you know, um, it's powerful stuff. It's glue, you know, yeah. um, and that's, and you feel like people have your back and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do we, you know, how can we better design that at work as well? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, our belief is a lot of it is really just understanding people more for who they are. And uh, mm-hmm. we think, we think this sort of whole person notion is really key to it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like, like imagine if, you know, you and I were going to meet, we never met before and we're about to come together in a team and, I got a quick look at your work story and you got to look at my work story. I'm not talking about a LinkedIn profile, but like mm-hmm. a rich understanding of you, of each mm-hmm. other. And all of a sudden we're like, oh man, we've got these common interests and passions and life view, or maybe we're completely different. That's okay mm-hmm. too. But yeah. the point, the point is we kind of get to a richer understanding of each other as a fellow human. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we feel more security with that. Um, yeah. And we, and then, then the potential fires up and the energy fires up. And that's how great things can happen. That's where we get those epic work experience outcomes. Yeah. And I can, I can even feel it as you're talking about it because I can, first of all, I can harken back to times when I did have more understanding of the people I worked with. And I think simply seeing people as whole people and, and not as kind of avatars for whatever role they're playing, um, it, it immediately instills empathy. Um, it, it, you sort of start to root for each other a little more. And when you get to the inevitable moments of conflict and struggle through any kind of project, you're not simply operating from a place of like, I need my thing to be done, but you start to see each other as part of the team much more. And, and you care more about everybody getting what they need as opposed to just focusing on what you have. And, um, that, that idea of the stories, um, I love, that notion and i one i wonder how do you help people get to them and and i think the the stories that that ultimately we tell can they not only help us work better together but this is something actually that showed up in a recent episode i recorded like help people realize how much more people have to offer right Mm -hmm. i might be uh, a copywriter and an ad agency and you might think well that means x y and z but then some other project comes up and we need somebody who has a, a deep understanding of hockey. Just making this up. I happen to have a deep understanding of hockey. So that's probably why I said it. But like, if you can, if you have a story, some of those pieces come into it. So you're not just a resume or even a LinkedIn profile. You are this whole human who has all these disparate, interesting facets that could add value in a lot of times. And we just miss it. So, yeah. so how do you put those stories together? And do you see some of that where it starts to open up a lot more opportunity for people? Yeah, we are deep into research on this right now and, and building product around like literally everything you just described. Um, mm-hmm. and, and without a doubt, again, the, the power of story, it's, I mean, this, go, this is just built into our DNA from an mm-hmm. evolutionary perspective, right? Two strangers wandering the world in 3000 years ago and Mm-hmm. run into each other and around a campfire and share their stories. Right. And that's mm-hmm. our, our brains are kind of designed to listen yeah. uh, intentionally. And, and we have a strong uh, notion of narrative because it got back to that idea of security and safety. Right. Cause I was learning mm-hmm. from this other person. So our brains are really designed to take information in that way. And there's a richness yep. that, that isn't otherwise. So, so there's, a, so in terms of what the way we're approaching it, and this is, I'll just kind of get to the exciting part and maybe dip back into the research, which is, the approach we we're taking is 
so in the flow of work, sort of the atomic level of what's interesting to us is mm -hmm. what we call moments, right? So it's a, um, so imagine you're, you're working on a project and, you know, you're working in Slack mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe you have a quick conversation with somebody um, that, that maybe unlocks something you talked about. Oh, maybe it's a shared interest or maybe someone gives you some kudos or, mm -hmm. you know, or maybe it's, um, you know, or there's some skill that someone just said, Hey, you're really good at this, whatever that thing is. It's like a little piece. Mm -hmm. So what our software is going to do first, first and foremost, is make it easy to be able to sort of capture that in the flow of work a moment. And, you know, just, we have like, what's called the rad bot that lives in Slack with you. And it's kind of looking out for that stuff mm -hmm. and it grabs it. And then mm -hmm. it sends it over to the radical platform, which is collecting kind of these moments. And mm -hmm. the analogy I'd like to use is how, you know, uh, Apple does this so well, if I don't know if you're an Android or Apple person, but how they collect oh. all your, yeah, collect yeah. all your, all your pictures. Mm -hmm. And then six, six months later, surprise you with a story, which is they, you know, mm -hmm. tie those together through AI around, maybe it's a person you spend a bunch of time with, maybe it's a, you know, a series of sunsets or your mm -hmm. dog, your, your cats. I'm sure yeah. you probably get the, the cat we videos. <laughs> so, so AI can help enable kind of stringing together these moments into stories. Um, and, and we also empower the individual as well, sort of to organize their moments into a story. Mm -hmm. And then as, as contexts present themselves, um, there's an ability to kind of push those stories out, uh, you know, for different purposes. So maybe mm -hmm. you're going to be, you're new, you're going to be, joining a new team and you can mm -hmm. see stories of others and they can see yours and AI kind of helps unlock some of the overlaps and things. Mm -hmm. We also, we also take the time to really understand who people are personality wise. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we we're actually just wrapping up a whole bunch of research on this, which is super cool. Um, but sort of organizing people, um, you know, kind of knowing who they are, what makes them tick, what mm -hmm. are the right kind of complementary people for them to work with who are people are maybe similar, you know, or, or, someone who would be someone that would be good for them to work with. Mm -hmm. And we also fold skills in there too, which you mentioned too. So like, yeah. what are the skills this team or thing needs? What do mm -hmm. we have? What do we not have? Maybe like you said, someone's got some skills. We didn't even realize someone on the mm -hmm. team. Yeah. So, so when you start to present and organize all the information that all that information I just talked about in the flow of work, mm -hmm. then you're, you're really empowering people to, you know, again, um, have that sense of connection, clarity, connection. I mean, I'm sorry, meaning all that's sort of happening mm -hmm. naturally, organically as we work. Um, and the, the research just 100% supports all of this. Like, uh, mm -hmm. and we've been doing a ton of user tests with Gen Zers and, you know, so much of what they just yearn for is just to be respected for who they are, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. they're, uh, they're all different than the millennials, you know. Uh, yeah. millennials had a high set of expectations about what they thought they deserved mm -hmm. <laughs> at 24 years old, but, yeah. Gen, but Gen Z is different. They're very purposeful, mm -hmm. you know, and they want to really be, you know, one identified for who they are respected for who they are. Mm -hmm. And they also want to kind of understand how that kind of fits into the, the fabric of how they're doing work and be respected and recognized for that. Mm -hmm. So that was a bunch of information, but that, that's sort of like the, yeah. those are the, the levers of this process um, to, to really, you know, inspire and ignite, um, mm -hmm. the kinds of experiences that will make work epic. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, um, the idea of what, what Gen Z is really looking for. I, I, you know, people can knock on other generations, but I think that's a wonderful and needed perspective because not only just personally, being valued for who you are, being recognized and rewarded for who you are and what you bring is good. But I think the 
the way we're going to solve the challenges of today and whatever comes next is not going to be through the sort of old school, like just throw a bunch of people in a room and, and put some very top down process on them and get everybody to kind of do and think in the same way. But I think it's the exact opposite of like, how do you create these connections between the right kinds of people with the right perspective on the world and the right skills and mindsets and stories to to imagine and then build and design the things that will solve these ma massive problems that that are already here and will surely you know continue to develop so i think the way to unwind the sort of assembly line approach and the 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 sears and roebuck approach of printing the thing and taking it down and somebody stamps the thing and signs off and then you enter some other like that sort of mindset is exactly what you're talking about how do we get the most out of every person and and how do we see the most in every person to know how much they can bring to us. So I think that's wonderful. And then I, I, it's interesting, you're talking about how AI and technology can really enhance this experience. So I'm curious to kind of get your take on the AI question, right? Because I think people yeah. are, are, are either really scared, really optimistic, or somewhere in between. So where do you fall and, and what do you see as the role of AI and whatever technology evolves in the world of work. I'm extremely excited about AI. Uh, mm -hmm. Personally, I yeah. think that with the right guardrails and approach, it's, uh, it's very, very, very exciting and can bring mm -hmm. a ton of value to people. Mm -hmm. um, where it gets spooky um, is where it feels like it's, you know, it's a runaway train. It's, mm -hmm. it's taking over. Uh, it starts making terrible mistakes. Um, mm -hmm. We start, you know, removing people and putting AI in a decision-making position. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, um, it just, then it just doesn't, doesn't go so well. Yeah. I think when AI works well um, there, here's the things that I think are important to be on a sort of a front foot with it. One is it is about empowering people to make their own decisions. You know, so what AI can do really well is sort of articulate up, Hey, here's, here's some things maybe that you're not thinking about or seeing, or here's some ideas mm -hmm. and maybe even, you know, nudging for you to make a decision or, or sort of, or maybe seeing a direction or an approach, or maybe a connection you could make that you wouldn't have thought to make otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you think about work, I mean, that, you know, they, you know, the old saying that luck is preparedness meeting opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. um, so imagine if AI could do that more at scale for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. and sort of see things that they couldn't see and sort of present opportunities that maybe they wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Yeah. Um, I also think the, I mean, so we're like right in the middle of this designing like the data schema for what we're doing right now and thinking, okay, mm -hmm. how do we, what belongs to the person? Um, what belongs to the company? Mm -hmm. Um, and another one of our big ideas is we feel passionate that people, if there's any AI information collected about them, you know, which is basically a bunch of behaviors and perceptions happening at scale all the time in a context, right? That's sort of like mm -hmm. the atomic level of what yeah. fuels AI. That they should be able to take that with them. That belongs mm -hmm. to them, you know? Oh, nice. So if you're, if you're going from job to job to job, you, that is yours, you know? So if mm -hmm. you leave and you move on, that's, you know, that's got to be yours. I think that's, mm -hmm. you know, so, so then that, that repositions it as a benefit mm -hmm. and an advantage to people. Yeah. versus the alternative, which gets back to that, you know, 75 year old, sorry, IBM, 75 year old IBM kind of classic <laughs> top down design. Yeah. My actually my dad worked for IBM. So I, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I, I actually have a, a lot to be thankful for, for IBM. Sure. 
Um, but you know, when you're when you're really setting the people up to win, and then you sort of accept this kind of ground up organic empowerment piece, then I think it gets really interesting, right? That's uh-huh. I mean, that's the way I think about it. You know, I've been driving a Tesla for I'm year seven now, so kind of fairly early adopter. And I was like, as soon as autopilot came out, you know, and all that, this is mm-hmm. five, five, six years ago, man. I was yes. so excited about that. You know, we'd go mm-hmm. on these road trips, yeah, fire that, fire that thing up, and it would be holding a lane. And then eventually mm-hmm. the lane changing would start to happen. But uh, what I started to learn over time is like it would, would work really well until it didn't. And when it didn't, it would be like, oh, there's some road construction going on here. All of a sudden, oh, like, God. The, the lines in the road just disappear and there's some barricade, barricades and instantly the car has no idea what to do. It oh, starts, starts swerving. And But what I what I learned to adjust to is, oh, this is this is a tool. So when mm-hmm. conditions are favorable, like mm-hmm. I this thing is great and I and my I allow my concentration to look further ahead to mm-hmm. look out for those like problems that might be coming, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm, but I'm less worried about sort of the immediate blocking and tackling stuff like mm-hmm. cars around me, because it's kind of got that part covered really well. Yeah. So, you know, so I've watched my behavior change through, you know, using, using AI that way. And we've all mm-hmm. had that experience with Google maps, right? We all, I mean, of course, or, you know, we do this all the time, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's a tool to help us get from point A to point B faster. We still get to make yeah. our own choices. Like, yeah, I don't know if that's the way I really want to go. Yeah. But but it's giving us an idea. It's giving us, it's presenting us with an option and we can choose to to follow it or not. Right. So, th- mm-hmm. you know, these are, these are kind of philosophical thought experiments or examples that yeah. I think kind of help, help frame it. So I'm ultimately optimistic about it mm-hmm. um, for me thinking through the next, you know, 10 to 15 years of running a tech company. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one we're building now, I'm just, really excited to be kind of in the arena with AI. Cause I know it's going to be the, it's, it's not driving going. it. Yeah. And I, I think the way the, the combination of the, the sense of AI being a tool and then marrying that with the approach that you guys have of really bringing it down to the individual and focusing on them. I think, I think that's the kind of mindset that starts to make this work and I think can create optimism for those who might have more skepticism right now, because if you can get more and more people framing it that way, where this is a tool and it is your tool and the outputs of that tool, which I really love, are yours. Um, and that's something really interesting to see how that plays out at scale, meaning if, yep. you know, if, if legislation is needed to do that or if that will happen because enough uh entrepreneurs see the value in framing it that way um but i think when you put it together that way i have this tool this tool can produce outputs that are really valuable to me and those outputs are mine that i can then carry with me and can have a cumulative effect as i move forward It, it certainly it paints a pretty easy picture to see how it could be a really big benefit for people i share your general optimism towards it I'm not as deeply involved in working with it. So it's nice to hear that perspective from somebody who is in it. Um, And I think what I would love to just see is more and more people who are in it, finding ways to bring that kind of mindset to it, a a humanity first, a individual first mindset, rather than um, I think on the flip side, you have the just general like productivity mindset that can create some of those not so great outcomes that we talked about. Um, one thing I'd love to come back to now that we've kind of gone through a lot of the work you do and in, in the mix of technology and storytelling is, you know, your storytelling chops were formed in, in the world of filmmaking. 
which I think there's some interesting stuff there. You released a film not that long ago, so I'd love to hear about that. But but you also talked about something we talked about before doing this show was you took sabbaticals for a few years early on when you were, I believe this was during your modern survey time period, and you would spend your summers uh, working with uh, Sundance Labs, which has evolved into the Sundance Film Festival. Can you talk a bit about that and what you learned there and how that maybe impacted the work you're doing now? Oh, sure. Thank, thanks for asking. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, it, I've been, uh, you know, I've been lucky to have learned a lot of lessons around what I would call creative leadership, which is, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is for me as a leader. How do you build spaces and create contexts in which teams can do incredible work, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of the things we've just talked about, um, mm-hmm. but I've been fortunate enough to sort of have myriad experiences in different contexts to really borrow from and learn from over time to gain my own sort of point of view. So mm-hmm. to, to specifically answer your question, yeah, so I we started the company Modern Survey in the year, well, actually, I'll, I'll go way back, right? So my career started, I think we talked about this in, uh, as a script writer. Mm-hmm. So between the ages of like 21 and 24, I was writing scripts and almost got my first movie made. And then I was mm-hmm. a jaded, jaded script writer at 24 because it didn't happen. So then mm-hmm. I ended up following my punk rock dreams, which eventually led to tech, right? So anyway, mm-hmm. that that original kernel and interest in filmmaking was always there. So fast mm-hmm. forward to um, to kind of the early 2000s. So I was, uh, so like the way you described it, there's a thing called the Sundance Filmmaker Labs and they, mm-hmm. they happen in Utah every summer. And it was Redford's original vision of, hey, for uh, for America to to get what he described as sort of the, an independent American filmmaking sensibility here in this country that was more like Europe. This was his, mm-hmm. his notion. We need to get filmmakers off the coasts and into a different sort of safe environment mm-hmm. so that they can start to experiment with um, their new stories and their, and, you know, new, new approaches to filmmaking. And there's no doubt that this worked because he started in 84, 85, something like that, 84, 85. Mm-hmm. I believe in 1989 or 90, Tarantino went through it and worked and workshopped Reservoir Dogs. And I I would argue that, you know, like it's fair to say that movie may have never been made had Tarantino not had that experience. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll kind of dive into the experience through my, through, through, through what I saw when I was there later. Um, But, but uh, you know, so I mean, American independent filmmaking sort of fresh story storytelling was sort of born out of this, but we had to create this kind of safe space in order to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So in the years 2003, 2004 and 2007, I did three sabbaticals or I did a sabbatical in each of those years. And um, I worked as an assistant director um, at the labs, which means I would support two first-time filmmakers who were trying to make their first movie. Okay. So I worked with, so I ended up working with six directors over those over those three years. Hmm. And they would each have their it was their, they were all first-time directors. They would have a script they were trying to get made. It's very competitive as you would imagine to get even selected into this. So I think mm-hmm. they like five thousand script writers and directors would apply every year and eight would be chosen, right? So wow. extremely competitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so then I would be intimately involved with this first time director, um, l- learning how to direct uh, the camera actors, pr- learning how to you know tell a story through those means, how to create mm-hmm. an environment in order to do that safely. And, um, and I watched over and over again, how these, these, these uh, directors would sort of gain their legs, you know, and mm-hmm. it was a lot of empathy it was a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. And then we'd, I'd be surrounded on these sets. And this is where it gets really head trippy. So, 
I'd have like maybe Ed Harris standing next to me over here and he would be like an, <laughs> an advisor on set and maybe Robert Redford would be bouncing for a little bit wow. or it would be um, Catherine Bigelow, the you know director, mm. James, James Cameron, James mm-hmm. Cameron's wife. She was there all the time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Stanley Tucci. Uh, um, anyway, I, I'm like I'm name dropping, but anyway, you'd be, I guess I am. You'd be around <laughs> these amazing, yeah. yeah. And so I would, I would be, you know, watching vicariously how a, a creative leader, a director, was learning how to do this with the mm-hmm. support of the best people in the business. Yeah. And it was about creating a, you know, a safe place so an actor could take those risks, helping the the director, you know, encourage like like what are the right edges for that. Mm-hmm. And and the whole Sundance Labs, which would happen over about three to four weeks, um, every director and they kind of designed it this way would have mm-hmm. their their fail day because they would keep pushing you and keep pushing you and and almost everyone would end up just completely you know breaking down mm-hmm. um so so i get to watch that sort of like how do you build an edge um mm-hmm. and push people kind of in a generous way toward that but then mm-hmm. when they fall apart how do you have the structure there to help them kind of rebuild the pieces and that's mm-hmm. that break breakthrough moment right yeah and then when all of a sudden, oh, now I know how to make this movie, right? Mm-hmm. So I got to watch that cycle over and over again. And then I would take those experiences back to Modern Survey, which was this tech startup that I was doing. It couldn't be any different. Um, and I would borrow from those kind of leadership lessons I would learn in those contexts and bring that kind of creativity into the culture we had mm-hmm. in a tech startup. And then vice yeah. versa. You know, I would I would learn things as a startup entrepreneur, which I would bring back to a film set. So mm-hmm. that crop that cross pollination for me, kind of back and forth, was, I mean, for for me, developing my leadership skills through my kind of thirties and forties, which when which is when that was happening, mm-hmm. um, changed my life. I mean, yeah. it, it really changed my life, and I just started to understand, like, wow, you can do anything mm-hmm. um, you could, if you could create the right context and provide the right resources and provide a vision mm-hmm. um, and a support mechanism, and you bring the right people together. Like, you mm-hmm. can do anything. You know? Yeah. And, and I, I really learned to believe that and understand how to engineer that through those sets of experiences. Wow. I mean, that idea of sort of setting an edge and pushing people to it and then creating the support structure to deal with what happens there. How do you, how do you bring that? You know, if I, if I'm a, again, I'm running a company and I want to bring that into my company somehow my first instinct is going to be a little bit of fear, right? Like I might just freak people out and people will just start dropping because I'm pushing them too much, you know? And in that idea of creating safety for people can almost feel the opposite, right? Like you're telling me you're going to push people to the point where they might actually break down. Like, so how do you marry the idea of it's a safe space, but it is one where you're going to go beyond probably what you ever thought you were comfortable with and then find a way to pull those pieces together when it falls apart a bit and create something magical. How do you, how do you design that? It's a lot of encouragement of experimentation. Um, like when I talk about pushing people to the edge or the Sundance example, it's not like, come on, you mean, it's, yeah. not, it's not like the track coach or the football right. coach push, you know, that's not what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's building that encouragement to kind of keep pushing or to have another way to think about, uh, to, mm. to try it. So a lot of it is just in- encouraging risk-taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's just giving space, it's giving people permission to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as soon as they get into trouble, you know, you've got to be, you know, you've got to have that open communication, like, mm-hmm. Hey, if this thing isn't working out, you know, 
you know, like, let's talk immediately. Let's grab a coffee or a lunch and let's reset. I mean, that's how it, that's how it actually starts to take shape. So it's a lot of, I think it is, it's having confidence in your team. It's encouraging experimentation and Mm risk-taking. It's, you know, it's empowering. It feels like a lot of autonomy for people that are on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but then, you know, back to those concepts we talked about before, but you got to connect that to kind of a, you know, a sense of clarity and meaning, right? Kind of why are we doing all this? And then, uh, you know, I, as a, as a film producer over the last five to seven years, because I made three movies now mm-hmm. since I sold uh, Modern Survey. And I, like, I love being on film sets because you sort of get this, it's, it's wild, right? You, you, you start out with a, a script and maybe a director and an idea. And then all of a sudden you get, the funding and the financing put together. And all of a sudden you go from two or three people to, you know, 120 people, right. You hire everybody and you spin it up. And also you've got this business, you got this team, you got to like manage over the next, you know, six to eight weeks or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a film producer, like that is basically your job is I learned, I learned this at Sundance for sure. Mm -hmm. Is everything we just talked about. Like you have to be just on the set, constantly helping everyone understand how what they're doing is connecting to the like the beautiful idea with the story and the vision of it from mm-hmm. you know from, i'm talking about everyone in wardrobe and every grip and gaffer and you know every electrician and uh every actor everybody right mm-hmm. um and you know and 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 you really like in film sets you really put trying to push people you know um mm-hmm. and to take risks and you know um and then and as a producer too i'll be also enabling a director who usually the directors are always asking for the world. So you've got to kind of, you know, you've got to broker that with what can actually be done, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, th- th- that kind of dynamic is kind of what it feels like. It's just a lot of uh, careful risk-taking, uh, encouraging experimentation, uh, just creating an environment where people know that if they, if they fuck up, they screw up, it's okay. You know, yeah. that's, that's, that's really what it comes down to. That's a, that's a wonderful lesson that I think could solve a good chunk of that 79% challenge that people are having in the workplace, which is, I think failure continues to be viewed as, as some kind of end state, like you've, you could have done it well, you didn't therefore, and it gets attached to you, right? Now you are a failure. I am a failure. And I don't think we can afford that kind of thinking anymore in the same way, because I think we do need to be running a lot more experiments. We do need to recognize that the majority of those will probably fail, but the, that, that, that the learning and the breakthrough and that aha moment lies on the other side of that. But we have to be really, really cognizant of people's state throughout all of that, because it can be really easy to shrink in the face of failure. And so to have leaders, um, whether that's at the director level, the producer or whatever, or in companies at the CEO level or at the individual manager levels, be able to be able to point out where it went wrong, but then go, you know, you're, you're, you're awesome. You're actually more awesome today than you were yesterday because you did that thing. Um, yeah, I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you took that risk because mm-hmm. then we all, we all learn something from that. Like, exactly. There's a, there's a collective understanding, which you know, brings value back to that team. And, and again, mm-hmm. this is that human thing when we feel like we're in a team together. And, you know, if, if, if it was 2000 years ago and one of us in our, you know, little set of people went off to do something and, you know, mm-hmm. got attacked by a bobcat in the woods or whatever it was, it was like, yeah. okay, well, maybe, maybe that's, 
maybe that's something yeah, we failure has a different consequence, do, there. A different yeah. consequence. but i think that's that's what it is right so it's that mm-hmm. it's that's it's that security and team and kind of shared yeah shared understanding of of uh that it's okay because we've got to mm-hmm. we've got to push towards towards the edges and in order to kind of keep moving forward and i i feel like to some degree the sort of hollywood for lack of a better term process somewhat bakes that in because it, it needs to happen that way and places like Sundance helped to, to kind of push that even further. And I, I do you feel like some of that learning is stuff you can bring to companies and organizations and say, here's how you can create a culture where that same mindset shows up and people do feel empowered through failure as opposed to sort of dejected and rejected through failure. Yeah, I mean, yes, the short answer is yes. I think um, I mean there's there's the consultative approach to it and you know, and we we do work that way. And mm-hmm. I think organizations are attracted to radical in the team. We're we're all kind of creatives um mm-hmm. of various backgrounds. And we just for whatever reason happen to have this like deep employee experience design yeah. and strategy capabilities as well. So we can fuse that together. So we're like a really like people come to us and say, I don't want Deloitte. I don't want, you know, McKenzie. I want you guys because mm-hmm. you bring something particular that's, yeah. that is unique. Right. Mm. But what, re- but what really interests me is how to do this at scale. All right. And, mm-hmm. and how to just build these sensibilities into individuals and teams and ultimately organizations mm-hmm. uh, and how to kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say engineer it, but, but, but give a set of understand deeper understanding about, what the world of possibilities could be mm. um, and to sort of push again, kind of push toward those when you're again, the idea of luck, right. Um, kind of push towards those moments a little bit more so that, you know, people will have those breakthrough moments that will mm-hmm. blow their minds and change their life view and maybe yeah. lead them to, they might even lead realize, I mean, this is a terrible job for me or, mm-hmm. I had, or I had no idea I had that skill or yeah. I hate using that skill over and over again, even though I'm mm-hmm. really good at it. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, there's right. There's just so um, it's so again, it, it's it's really about empowerment and and, and yeah. stories and stories is the vehicle because stories mm-hmm. is the way that we can gain that richer understanding uh, of someone and, and kind of then kind of unlock that. Yeah. And I can I can see as an individual the the ability to shape that story, like you said, yeah, I got that skill, but I'm realizing every time I use that skill, I'm not happy stresses me out. So I, I don't want to use that skill anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to tweak my story a little bit and, and find a different way forward. So I love that. I also love, you know, the idea, like you guys are sort of this unique set of skills and mindsets and all that. And I think that's where the future lies for a lot of people. And for a lot of organizations is to, to find that cross pollination of people with interesting backgrounds who maybe didn't just go this, this sort of straight and obvious path but kind of dipped over here, went over here, showed up here for a little bit, and then finding, you know, maybe through the, what you're doing and finding those different stories that when you bring them together, create some sort of exponentially bigger story for possibility for an organization. Um, so I'm really, I'm really drawn to that. And I think, again, we keep kind of doing the same things to try to, and yet expect it to change. And I think it's, it's that kind of mindset that's going to change us to recognize the value of each of our stories and finding interesting ways to place them together to create something really fantastic. Um, I wanted to just check with you on, is there anybody else out there? Cause I know, I love what you guys are doing. You know, do you have anybody else that you're witnessing out in this world that is making work 
not suck so much that you're like, wow, those guys are interesting. I'm keeping an eye on those folks. Uh, let's see. I mean, there's a lot of, so, I, so to kind of get wonky for a minute, I was at the uh, Human Resources and Technology Conference. Mm. That's not exciting. In, La, in, Las, Vegas, in Las Vegas uh, a couple of months ago, actually mm-hmm. early October. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, got a real deep, fresh look at the general state of the state from a philosophical point of view and a strategy point of view, and then sort of the sea of vendors and looking at all the innovation. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I believe strongly based on what you can kind of read, you know, through, you know, all the thought leaders and analysts and whatever the folks that are at conferences blabbing um, mm-hmm. and then t- and t- having hundreds of conversations with different people that there is a sea change happening, mm. you know, and I, um, I, I believe strongly there's sort of a, you know, a, a new organizing principle that's taking shape. Like the example I use is, um, you know, the web in the late 90s, you know, kind of starting around, especially 97, 98, especially in the year 2000 was sort of opened up a new way to mm-hmm. build and design things, right? Yeah. And we had this 20 years of amazing, you know, uh, growth through that. But, but in a lot of ways, we were just making better versions. It's not the, maybe the another way to put it is, virtual or web versions of things that maybe already existed mm-hmm. and, and yeah. maybe they were some iteratively better, but they still were just kind of like a, just like a, a reworking of a concept. And then mm-hmm. we had, you know, the, the boon of software as a service companies and platforms. Right. Yeah. And the idea was, Oh, we don't need mainframes anymore and people can mm-hmm. access it on their phones and like all that. Yep. And I think that really starting in the year 2020 with the pandemic um, and everything and looking, I think we're, I think we're, we've entered, entered a new phase. Mm-hmm. AI is a big part of it. Yeah. Um, I've seen many organizations trying to use AI for good. There's definitely that notion. There mm-hmm. definitely is this notion to bring power to people. I'm seeing that come in from a lot of different places. Cool. I don't think, I don't know if anyone quite has the, I, we haven't seen anyone who really has our approach on it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say there's lots of organizations that are trying to, you know, to borrow from the, the industry, kind of hyper-personalize mm-hmm. experiences for people um, that it feels more, it feels better designed for what people actually want. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's something like your average company has something like 85 HR apps that they wow. offer employees. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That's great. <laughs> and they're all terrible and no one yeah. wants to use them unless they have to. Right. Mm-hmm. So think of, so think of that opportunity like that, mm. that should completely just cycle over and we should have, you know, uh, amazing apps that people want to use and where we're empowering people. So, mm. yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's maybe it's a politician's answer to your question, but I've seen lots of green shoots and ideas around everything I've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I'm, I'm pretty confident it's going to manifest in a lot of different places. Um, but I think where we where, where we really uniquely kind of lean into is this enablement and storytelling piece because mm-hmm. and then and empowering people across their work journey too like you get to take this with you yeah um, um you know we think that's that's a really big idea and we're excited mm-hmm. to see where it goes yeah and i i think it, it certainly connects to me i think um and it connects to what i feel like i'm seeing and it, it parallels what you're talking about which is the direction we're headed in we need this kind of mindset we need people to feel empowered about who they are and the ability to tell the story of who they are and the ability to have that go with you for your journey, wherever it leads is critical. Um, I think I already know the answer to this, but are you optimistic in general about the state of work and where it's we've going? Got a, we, we've got a long way to go and there. Like I said, there are real 
entrenched mm-hmm. macro structural things happening that are yeah. a lot of weight, mm-hmm. a lot of weight. Yeah. And there's a lot of ambiguity out there and a lot of fear. Um, and that that's deep in the psyche. So I, mm-hmm. I can't do anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But where my optimism does manifest is we, but we can design tools and approaches and strategies that are much, much more humane, mm-hmm. much bring much, much more designed around bringing power to people, um, mm-hmm. to their individual desires and joys and preferences. And that's what, that's where, that's where my optimism comes in mm-hmm. because it's uh, the designer in me, the creative, the entrepreneur just is very excited about anything I can do to make, to make a difference in this. And I yeah. see a lot of other people out there that believe this too. So I, you know, it, but, but it's, it's, there's going to be a, you know, a healthy tension between uh, you know, there's the way organizations think maybe they need to be doing things now as their sense of risk goes up and then pushing against this empowerment mm-hmm. and enablement of people. And I, you know, I, I believe this empowerment of people will end up bringing value to organizations. They'll get it, but it's still, yeah. it's, it's going to be easy. Attention. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's a, I like that very clear and honest assessment of the challenge, but I also like that you recognize there's an opportunity where you guys can, can attack that challenge in the way you're attacking it. And it will have an impact that to your point, it will start here, but let's hope it starts to scale and it can become something that starts to knock some of that thinking into a new place. And I think along those same lines, if you could sort of wave a magic wand and we just suddenly had this fully desuckified work world, what would that look like? I mean, I think it would feel like, um, you know, to paint a picture, imagine a, a 24 year old Gen Z are coming into the workforce and they would feel uh, excited and enabled toward like, no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. Hmm because I can see, I feel like I have enough visibility into kind of like the path forward and the ideas. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so you feel empowered even in the face of, you know, uh, pressure and stress and ambiguity and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe fear. So I think, so that's what a moment feels like. Yeah. Uh, Or or we, we want to have those moments manifesting as much as possible. Yeah. So it's a, it's it's a feeling. That's what it feels like. And that's, and that's an empowering thing because that's where we then get our brains get to, for all those, everybody, we get to think more creatively. We get to think, care more about the people we're working with. And that's where mm-hmm. great companies and value back to communities and organizations and the environment and climate change and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's where the fuel of hope comes from. So, oh, so wow. if we can, we can empower, then we're going to unlock the human potential to do yeah. better by this, by ourselves and planet, you know, versus uh, feel like we're the weight of it's crushing us. You know, we, yeah. We've got to, we've got to turn that around. I love that. I love that perspective because it gives you hope immediately because you're giving me uh, an ability to have some sense of command and some resilience tools agency. In, in, in agency in the here and now. But then you can see how as you scale that for more people, it, it, it tilts organizations into better places. It tilts ideas into better places and those big weighty structural problems, we start to take them on because they feel less weighty, honestly, because we start to yeah. feel like we have the ability to actually make those changes. Our minds are getting more creative. And you, know, you use that term creative leadership. I come back to that a few times and I'm like, that should be how all leaders think, right? I mean, it's every, leadership is a creative act, I think if done in its best way. So um, the more we can create more creative leaders, um, 
at every level and at, at every for every individual i think there's a lot of amazing things that can happen there um and speaking of of creative i've uh, i've been asking a lot of my guests to uh contribute a a sound effect to my ever-growing library we use a lot of cat sounds and other goofy sounds in the intro and outro um are, are you game for providing a sound effect that might show up in your episode or beyond? Sure. I, you know, what, what's, what's the worst that could happen, right? Uh, <laughs> as long as, long as AI doesn't get a hold of this and turn it into <laughs> something that's going to end up holding me hostage for this uh, or, uh -huh. or black blackmailing me in the future. Yeah. Um, well, you know, since you, if, if, uh, how would you feel about a dog contribution? Like a dog? Oh, I love sound? it. I think we're, we, we're, we're dog light right now. <laughs> like, so, so literally you can't see I've got, I've got a, I'm staring at my dog down here. I've got three, three rescue dogs here. Oh, nice. so, so dogs are a big, big deal for us. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm, I'll just give you some kind of improvised dog sound. Yeah. I, I have no idea where this is going to go, but we'll just see. Right. Um, <clears throat> I like it. I like it. I feel like we uh, we went on a journey with that dog uh, of many moods. <laughs> I like it. It's a nice uh, contrast to the to the cat theme. Uh, I think uh, I think it's fun. I'm, I I love dogs. I love all animals. So uh, I think any any animal is, uh, is brings a lot of joy into the world. So yeah, thank you for that. And lastly, I, I want to give people a chance to to get to know your story even more. And so. You know, obviously, you know, you've got the company and you've got, you know, other stuff, the films you've done. So how can people find more about your company, the films you've made and whatever else you'd like to, to have people dig into about you? Oh, thank you. Um, so our company is called Radical Work. Uh, it's RadicalWork.com. Radical is missing the last A, right? So it's R-A-D-I-C-L work.com. Uh, okay. So you can find every, everything about mm -hmm that part of my life there for filmmaking um so riley harder pictures is the name of my production company mm -hmm. um the movies are tuscaloosa mm -hmm. the claw which is coming out early next year it's a documentary nice. about one of the original supervillains in wrestling it's a great mm. great movie awesome. vintage um and then a film called Cue the Strings, a film about Low. Uh, it's a story about a uh, collaboration between, it actually, upon this co conversation makes sense, collaboration between a director and a band over 29 years and how they oh, sort wow. of learned how to collaborate together on sort of sonic evolution and storytelling. Oh, uh, really cool. Visual. Yeah, which I, so it's sort of near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. So that we're still doing uh, film festivals and doing some okay. special screenings with that. That's probably mm -hmm. going to be maybe, maybe for Lucky early to middle of next year that film will come out more broadly nice. but you can find all those movies tuscaloosa the claw and eventually cue the strings a film about low on all the major platforms out there if you just google for google them awesome yeah and tuscaloosa uh, I, was, I was reading a little bit about that it's 1972 kind of a interesting time in history yeah it's uh you know kind of a southern gothic kind of classic coming of age uh mm -hmm. film but yeah but it's really uh yeah it's it's um you know a young couple come together in turbulent times um and um you know backdrop of roe v wade and mm -hmm. civil rights movement and it's set in alabama obviously tuscaloosa so mm -hmm. there's a real kind of mix of things and we've got a great cast um natalia dyer from stranger things she plays mm -hmm. nancy wheeler in stranger things uh she's mm -hmm. our she's our star Wow. 
Devin Bostick is the lead. He was just in uh, Oppenheimer and he was oh. in um, uh, most famously known for uh, his role as Roderick and Diary of the Wimpy of a Wimpy Kid. Oh, okay. It's all know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Tate Donovan in there who's sort of been around forever. And mm-hmm. the rapper, the rapper YG plays a Black Panther mm. activist. Uh, great cast. We're very, very proud of that movie. Nice. Yeah. Well, I hope people get a chance to explore all of the stuff you're doing and see what dots it starts to connect for them. Because I think ultimately that's, that's what you guys are building is giving people an opportunity to kind of pull stuff together, create stories and and create some magic that hopefully transforms the world, not just of work, but in general, that would be really cool. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. This has been super fun. Awesome. Well, all right, Patrick, I appreciate it and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening to the Desuckify Work Podcast. And thanks to Patrick for being a kind, curious, and compassionate guest. You can follow Patrick on LinkedIn and learn more about Radical at RadicalWork.com. That's R-A-D-I-C-L Work.com. And if you'd like to know more about my story, check out ThePuddingFactory.net. Follow the podcast on Substack and YouTube, and subscribe to the Desuckify Work newsletter at tjbennett.substack.com. Go forth and desuckify, everyone. Everyone.